Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So last May, my family and I went to Epcot Center, and uh, it was actually a surprise. We weren't going to do that. We just went to Florida with our daughters, and, and um, we weren't going to do anything like touristy or anything like that, and we were all hanging out, and Karen and I surprised them. Uh, we were having dinner at some really great place, and we told them, guess what? We're going to Epcot tomorrow. They were so excited, but you're not really sure what Epcot's about. I mean, you know what Disney's about. You're not really, no one really knows what Epcot's about. Um, so we, we went there, and the giant golf ball, there's, a, there's a, a ride in the giant golf ball that is, it's actually really cool. You get in this, um, it, it feels like it's going to be a roller coaster. Now, you're terrified at first if you don't like roller coasters like me, but then it's moving very slowly, and you're going through all these different phases of history, starting with prehistoric history. You're watching like these people gather around a fire, and, and there's a narrator uh, that's talking you through each of the, the scenes, like highlighting different parts of the scenes, explaining different things that are happening. And then it goes you know, on through the decades and, and years and generations, uh, up to present moment, and then it goes into the future, and it gives you an idea of what the future might be like. So you're riding uh, through all these scenes as someone is explaining to you what to pay attention to and what to see and what to think about. And today, I want to I kind of do the same type of thing. I want to begin us, I want us to launch into a journey together on the final week of Jesus' life. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. Um, by the end of this service, you'll know exactly what that is. But it's essentially um, seven days before the, the resurrection, it's the final week that Jesus is alive here on earth before he's resurrected. And there's a lot of significant things that happen during this time. So instead of us you know, being on this ride where we're talking through different moments in history, we're going to take our time to slowly, this week, all together, if you guys want to do this on your own, I'm going to provide a tool for you to do that, for all of us to walk through and highlight and think about different specific things that happened Today I'm going to talk about what happened on Sunday, Palm Sunday, the week before the resurrection. Tomorrow there's, there's going to be reading for you to do if you choose to that's going to highlight some things that happened on a Monday. And then Tuesday, there's going to be things that you can read about that happened on Tuesday. You're going to be looking at this scene as though you're traveling with Jesus through the week with his disciples. Now whenever scripture slows down, something really important is happening. And Jesus did a lot. There's no way that anybody could have captured all the crazy stuff that he did. In fact, in the last sentence in the Gospel of John, John literally says, this isn't everything that Jesus did. If we tried to write down everything that Jesus did, he says, I suppose there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all that he did when he was here. He did a lot. So when you're reading through the Gospels, you're flying from, like, here's a paragraph, and then the next paragraph might be something that happened two weeks later. It's just highlighting different parts of the life of Jesus. So you're moving at a, a very fast clip. But then in the Gospels, you get to the last week, and it slows down. And you, you read and you learn about things that happen each Day And it takes up, it expands, and it takes up inordinately a, a ton of um, real estate in the pages of the Gospels. 
And so it tells us that the last week is very, very significant. Not just Friday, the crucifixion, Good Friday. Not just Sunday. Every day there's something important for us to, to take away. And so today we're going we're gonna to start with Palm Sunday. And we're going to do this a little bit different today. I'm basically going to be narrating you through the scene. But if you'd like to follow, the first large chunk of this teaching is going to be in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 43, if you just want to check my homework. But I'm going to be talking about um, and putting a different spin on, on some of the things that happened as John narrates it. Now, there's other parts of the Bible, uh, there's other parts of the Gospels that talk about this too, and I'll be pulling and drawing from those as well. And when you get this this reading tool at the end of this message, if you're interested in it, um, it's, it, it's not an exhaustive list, just like this isn't. It's not, it not, it's not comprehensive. I'm only talking about one or two um, depictions of the same thing that happened, because a lot of these are covered in multiple Gospels. So starting with John chapter 12, verses 12 through 43, and the scene begins with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was... It, during Passover week, which is a major celebration for the Jewish people, and it's so important and packed with meaning that we're not going to go into it now because it could take up, you could do a three-week series on the Passover. But it, they were celebrating when, when Jesus freed through a miraculous um, demonstration of his power and mercy the Israelites from their uh, Egyptian slavery hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this. And so they would get together and everyone would go to Jerusalem in that area and celebrate the Passover feast. And it was usually a week-long celebration. And so the city would swell. The city, Jerusalem, would have been bursting at the seams. It had been a celebratory time. Tons and tons of people would have been there. The city might have like doubled in population for this week. I, I didn't do the research, but it got really, really big. And so it was crowded. And Jesus, it was found out, was on the way to the city. And by this time, he'd got pretty famous. I mean, he'd done a lot of miracles, and a lot of people knew about him. In fact, probably everybody in that region of the world knew about Jesus. So when they heard that he was coming, they got really excited, and a crowd gathered. They started climbing these palm trees. Probably you don't really think of palm trees in that time, but they were palm trees, and they cut these palm leaves down. And as Jesus was riding in the city, they, put the, they, put it, they rolled out a red carpet for him, and they put a palm trees on the ground as he was riding on this young donkey. And the palm trees represented uh, victory. They would, if there was a conquering king that was coming into a town, they would greet him with palm trees, uh, palm branches. So it represented victory and peace and power. And that's how he was greeted as he was coming into the city. And he rode, like I said, a young donkey, and that was to fulfill something that was written hundreds of years before that, uh, by Zechariah and Zechariah 9. Zechariah said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So a lot of people would have probably been thinking about that and seeing Jesus ride on a colt and knowing what Jesus has done and thinking to themselves, well, here's our king. Here's our king. Now the Pharisees were in the shadows and they were in the crowd but not really rooting for Jesus. Um, and they were talking amongst themselves. And the Pharisees said, you know, what we've been doing up to this point isn't working. They were opposed to Jesus. They were looking at each other and they said, look at them. The whole, the whole world is flocking to Jesus. 
Like what we've been trying to do has not worked. The Pharisees tried a lot of tricks against Jesus. They would do something called a double bind. A double bind is when you put someone in a situation where there is no right answer. There's no right thing for them to do. There's nothing that they can do that is going to be a way out of this. It's like telling someone who's really, really angry, calm down, calm down. That does, that's the worst possible thing to say to someone that you want to calm down. You can't, there's nothing, I can't win. What do you want me to do? I can't win. That's what they would do to Jesus. They would put him in double binds where there's nothing that he could say that would get him out of the trap they were laying for him. And there were multiple people just listening for what Jesus would do next. But it was Jesus, and he got out of it every time, and they were getting angry. And they were like, we can't trap him. There's nothing we can do. He gets out of it every time. All the ways that we've been trying to stop this man is not working. It's only getting stronger. His following is growing. The whole world's flocking to him now. Also among the crowd, there were some Greeks who were probably God-fearing people. They weren't Jewish people, so they, they wouldn't typically be celebrating the Passover. But they were interested because it was Jesus, and he had a way of drawing all sorts of people to himself. And they were in the crowd, and they were wondering if, if they could be part of this kingdom too, probably. So they found Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, and Philip is a Greek name, so they probably felt like there's some type of kindred spirit stuff going on there. They found Philip and they, they said, can we get some time with him? I, I want to I talk to him. Can, can we get just lunch or something this week with Jesus? I just want a little bit of, we just want to hear more about this kingdom and probably if we can be involved in it. Now, Philip was probably like, um, I'm not really in charge of his schedule. He kind of calls his own shots and we I, I don't know. So he goes to one of his friends, Andrew, who's one of the disciples. Andrew is Peter's brother, and they all grew up in Bethsaida, and it was a small village, so Philip and Andrew were probably friends growing up, so they were, he was comfortable with Andrew. So he went up to Andrew, and he's like, um, uh, some of these Greek people want to talk with Jesus. And Andrew is probably like, Pfft. Well, good luck. Go talk to Jesus about it. Why are you talking to me? Like, I have no, I'm using my imagination here, but it's probably a little bit of back and forth. Like, I don't know. We should, maybe he's open to it. And it, it turns out they both go and talk to Jesus. And they tell Jesus that these, these Greek people want to talk to you. Now, that's the question that they're asking Jesus. Can these people talk with you? Can they have some time with you? Here's what Jesus says. You gotta love Jesus. Here's what he says. This is the answer to, can these people hang out with you? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in, in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, there's a lot of meaning in there. But I imagine if I were Philip and Andrew, I would kind of be like, uh, so can they come talk to you or not? <laughs> like, I, I'm... Not really sure exactly. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me get this, Jesus. Um, the grain of wheat falls into the ground. 
I'm not following you. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, it sounds really important and really good. I probably should know, but can the Greeks come talk to you or not? That's, what, that's all we're asking here. It's all we're, that's all we need. But Jesus continues. He says, my soul is troubled, but what am I supposed to say? Father, save me from what's about to happen. I mean, this is the reason I came, guys. And Jesus would often seamlessly weave in and out of his normal conversations with people prayers. And so you'd be talking to Jesus, and then all of a sudden he's talking to the Father, and you're like, I'm sorry, are you talking to me or him? It's just, he's a confusing guy. And so he's talking with them, and he says, Father, glorify your name. And here's where it gets crazy. He says, Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes from heaven and says, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. The people who were there, John says, were trying to figure out what the heck just happened there. And so a lot of them, it was too much. They're like, there, there's no way we just heard that. That had to be thunder. There's no, like a voice from heaven talking back that just doesn't happen. It was, it was definitely thunder. And then other people said, well, it was probably, I think it was an angel speaking, speaking to Jesus. Oh, Jesus instructed them a little bit more. And then he went and hid. Now sit with that for a minute. Jesus is talking to people. He's instructing them. They have no idea what he's saying. They have no idea what he's talking about. And they weren't getting it. And after a while, he just goes and hides. He hid himself from them. And John says that even though this crowd had seen him do many signs and miracles, they still didn't believe in him. Why would Jesus hide from people whose expectations he wasn't meeting? And in John 12, 43, um, it says something really chilling. Because what would be worse than misunderstanding who Jesus was would be someone who knows exactly who Jesus is and pretends not to know. That would be even worse. And John says that there were some who did believe in him and were scared of the Pharisees so they didn't admit it. Because if the Pharisees found out that you believed in Jesus, you'd be kicked out of the, the temple. It's a major celebration. The Pharisees seemed to hold all the power. I'm not going to let them know I believe what I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And this is the chilling verse that John ends this section with in John 12, 43. He says, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's a, that's a pretty hefty indictment. You ever feel that way? Do you ever love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God? What ways do we do that? And what are we missing out when we do that? You know, being a Christ follower requires us to be brave. Michael Bird says that Christians weren't thrown to the lions because they asked Jesus to come into their hearts. 
They were thrown to lions because they confessed that Jesus is king of everything. He's Lord of all. And they said that in a pretty dangerous time to say things like that. I think what it comes down to is if you're a Christian, what makes it so difficult to be vocal about Christ is that nobody can see him. I mean, if Jesus were here in all of his glory right now, it'd be easy. There, there are all sorts of times in the New Testament when Jesus is walking through the gospel with the disciples and he does things that, that give an indication of who he actually is. I mean, if he actually showed all of his glory at once, the whole world, I mean, we would just all die. <laughs> we can't handle that type of power. But there are moments Jesus would say a word and people would fall down. He would tell the ocean and the storm that's happening, or the storm that's happening at the sea, um, stop. And it would stop and be quiet and be still. He would tell dead people to come out of their graves, and they would. He did some pretty wild things to demonstrate who he actually was, but he was always holding back. I mean, if you walked into a room right now, and Jesus was with you, and everybody in the room knew that's the guy that when he says things, galaxies come into existence. Or everybody knew that's the guy that if he would stop holding all of creation together with his thoughts, we would all disappear. All of creation. I mean, that's the type of power we're talking about. If you walked into a room with that person beside you, you would not be embarrassed to say, I'm with him. But what if that person's going to a cross? One of the skills we need to develop as disciples of Jesus is to remember who he is, to not forget who he is, to not forget whose side we're on, as if there were sides, and to live as though he actually is real, knowing in our heart of hearts that he is. And knowing that one day, that'll be apparent to everybody. You're not living for today, you're living for that day. When Jesus does come back, and the whole world will not have any choice but to bend their knee to the king. And no one will deny who he is at that time. But we want to live as though everybody, as though we know that to be true now. And the Bible gives us a tip of the hat. It points forward to us who didn't get to see him and says, you guys will be good. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter says to people who didn't get to meet Jesus face to face, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And Peter goes on, and in that section he's telling them, he'll make it worth it and he'll be back and everyone will see, just live like it's true now, that's all I'm asking so we train ourselves now to live for the glory that comes from God rather than the glory that comes from man. Okay, let's keep moving through here. This is the end of that John 12 section, but now I wanna, I'm going to pull a little bit from Mark 11. Remember, Jesus went and, and hid himself. People weren't understanding what he was about, and he went and hid from them. Later that evening, we see in Mark 11 that Jesus goes to the temple, and Mark says he looks at everything in the temple. He looks at everything. That's interesting that Mark would say that. So Jesus is in the temple and he's probably, there's probably not a lot of people in there. 
probably late. He's probably with the disciples, and he's just looking around and sees the altar of burnt offerings where animals are sacrificed for the sins of the people. And he sees the laver where the high priest would wash his hands before sacrificing the animal for the sins of the people. And probably thinks back on that moment in the temple when Pilate condemns him to death and offers Jesus as a sacrifice to the people and then washes his hands. He sees the table where the bread of presence was located, a bread that Jesus would identify himself later that week, soon to be broken. And I wonder in those quiet moments in the temple as Jesus is looking around at these incredibly symbolic things that are pointing to him and what he's about to do, even though nobody else knows what's going to happen. I wonder if he was thinking what he lamented earlier in another gospel. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills her prophets. And after he looks at everything, he leaves the city and he goes back to Bethany to stay the night. And here's the weird thing about that. Typically when a, when a king or a ruler or someone famous or someone powerful is coming into a city, they would be prepared for it. It wouldn't be the spontaneous, like, we hear someone's coming, let's go get these palm branches and put it down, and we're all excited and really pumped about it and celebrating now. It's kind of a thoughtless celebration. It was kind of a spontaneous last-minute thing. They didn't think it through. And usually if someone important comes into the city, they, there's all sorts of celebrations for them. There's festivals. Every meal is planned for them. There's different homes and places for them to stay. All their needs are taken care of. They're never alone. They're catered to the entire time. And here's Jesus and his disciples leaving the city in the evening alone, going back to Bethany. It reminds me of John 1, 10 and 11, where it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Here's a king greeted with fanfare in the morning and all but forgotten by evening. One of the things that I do when I'm slowly walking through the Gospels is I, I put myself in the different characters' shoes and try to imagine what I would be feeling, what I would be thinking if I was this character. And it just kind of makes the, the text three-dimensional and interesting in some ways that it, it might not be interesting otherwise. So let's for a minute, let's just put ourselves in the disciples' shoes here. Okay, you, you heard what happened this day. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. You come into the city with Jesus with great anticipation. And remember, you're part of this kingdom too. I mean, you're in, you're in leadership. You're like the cabinet. So you're excited about this. And you love what you're seeing. I mean, people celebrating and finally realizing who Jesus is and his power and that he's a king. And you're really, really excited about this because this means good things for you too. And yet you become confused and bewildered by Jesus' response to the crowd. I mean, if I were one of the disciples, I'd probably be thinking, you know, Jesus, I mean, you had the crowd's support and you didn't leverage it. You had the crowd. I mean, those people would have run through a wall for you. 
They could have helped us overthrow the religious establishment. And now, frankly, the rest of us disciples are a little bit unsure of what we're doing here. What's going on? The day started with amazing promise, and now here we are, walking back to, Beth- or to Bethany, alone again. I mean, Jesus, we want to help you change the world, but it's almost though you act as though you're the only one who can do that. I mean, can't you see it? Can't you see it like we can? If you lose the support of the crowd and you go back to Jerusalem this week, the religious leaders will have you killed and there's nothing we'll be able to do about it. It wasn't just the the crowds who misunderstood the mission of Jesus. It was the disciples, too. It was everybody. I'm going to go off script just for a moment. um, Because I read a lot for this this week and, and just... It's always hard with a sermon. You're not really sure what you can fit in, what you can't. You can't talk for three hours. So you have to, you have to do a ton of reading and then talk about maybe one-tenth of what you read. You pick the stuff that's relevant. And there's something that uh, I was thinking about even as we met with our, our serve team this morning. And uh, it's, it's another moment later in the week. It's not Palm Sunday, but it's Friday. And Jesus had just been condemned to be crucified. Pilate releases him. And there's Roman soldiers that are supposed to take him and crucify him, and they flog him. They're supposed to flog him. And, and then it says they take him to this private area inside somewhere. It must have been a very large room. You'll find out why in a little bit. But they want to have a little fun with him. And so they, they call the entire battalion of soldiers into the space. Now, a battalion is a tenth of a Roman legion of soldiers, so it would have been 600. 600 soldiers coming into the space. 600. And Jesus alone with them. And so they started, you know, hitting them with reeds, sticks, spitting on them, and they put them a, a purple robe on them, and they bowed down before them. They're, they're mocking them. They're making fun of them. Say, hail the king of the Jews, hail the king of the Jews. Over and over and over, they're spitting on him. In the Greek word, the tense tense used for um, the word spitting means continuous. 600 Roman soldiers continuously spitting on him. Now, the reason why there was a cohort or a battalion of soldiers there is because... um, Jerusalem was in a provincial area of Rome, so it was under their jurisdiction, and there, it was a capital city, so there would have been 600. There would have been a battalion posted there, and it was a really busy week, so they were probably extra there anyways. But here you have a whole cohort of soldiers spitting on Jesus and hitting him over and over, slapping him over and over, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. They're mocking him before they take him to be crucified. It's important, that tense is important though, continuous. Because a few hours later, Jesus is on the cross 
And he says a lot of different things. And one of these years we'll do a, a study on all the different statements that Jesus said because they're all packed with meaning. But one of the things he said is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what I learned this week from reading someone else talk about that and what I told the serve team this morning is the tense used for forgive them is the same continuous tense that's used when it said they were spitting on him. It's like a mirror moment where Jesus is looking back and saying over and over and over and over and over, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. He didn't just say it once. It was continuous. So I imagine this happened all through the week. As people are misunderstanding him, forgive them. As Peter denies him, forgive them. Maybe when Judas betrays him, forgive them. As the soldiers are spitting on him and hitting him, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. And over and over and over on the cross as he's being mocked, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's funny, at the end of the, when, when, at, when it was over and the earth quaked and the earth rebelled and um, it became dark, uh, one of the soldiers who was surely in that room mocking Jesus and spitting on him was standing nearby and said, I think it was actually God. Surely this must, have been, this must have been the Son of God. So I think the point of Palm Sunday is it's fun and it's celebration and it's really eventful and exciting in the morning. But the point is the fickle hearts of a human being. Because that same crowd that was celebrating Jesus at the end of that week actually turned into a mob that was calling for him to die. Very fickle. All the disciples that were they're just so committed to Jesus and his mission, they all abandoned him. All of them. They left him. From the beginning of the week to the end of the week, you see that Jesus is becoming more and more misunderstood and more and more alone and more and more hated. And the entire time he's saying, they don't understand. Forgive them. So Palm Sunday is not just about the fickle hearts of human beings who only will follow Jesus so far. I think it's more about the king who knows our fickle hearts and finished the job anyways. And we'll hear more about that next week. A very important week, the most important event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll focus on that. I'm going to say a prayer, and then actually we're doing, um, we're doing communion a little differently today. Pastor Al is going to explain how we're doing that, but we're going, to be, we're going to actually direct you a little bit more in taking the elements. So he's going to explain what that looks like in a little bit. Um, at the end of service, and I'll remind you of this, we do have a document that you can pick up out in the lobby on the welcome desk, and it gives reading for every day, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're, we're silent on Saturday, then we come back and celebrate Easter on Sunday. But I would invite you to, and i just give you permission, if you have another reading program, you're allowed pausing it. It's okay to do that, and you can just focus on this reading. And if we're all reading the same things together, I think there'll be something kind of cool about that. If I run out of papers, um, I'm going to put that on our Facebook, just Southside Worcester. I'll put it on our Facebook this afternoon, and you can, you can just download it from there. So let me pray for us as Pastor Al comes up.
Well, Jesus, I'm, I'm thankful that you went through with it. I mean, you, you said it pretty clearly that if you wanted, you could have called a legion of angels from heaven. A legion of Roman soldiers would have been no match for one angel, and you could have called a legion. And you didn't. You went through with it. Our hearts are fickle, but yours isn't. We're faithless, but you're faithful. And Palm Sunday is about you. And so I pray as we're, we're reading and studying and thinking and reflecting on the different events that happened on different days this week and our little reading guides that we're going to be getting, I pray that you would cause it to become alive and real to us in new ways. In Jesus' strong name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.